1: Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time, taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. One of my favorite questions to ask on Super Soul is What is the lesson that took you the longest to learn? The responses are always thoughtful, unique, and deeply personal. My own answer to that question has taken a lifetime to learn. I've struggled with my weight for much of my adult life, and I now realize I've been lying to myself about it for just as long. Lying is something I abhor, and lying to yourself is the worst. The deepest part of myself, I think, I always knew that I was using food to repress my feelings. Any hint of discomfort or agitation that could lead to confrontation or rejection or anyone being upset with me would cause me to eat. And after talking to so many people on The Oprah Winfrey Show and Super Soul Sunday, I knew my emotional eating stemmed from a childhood spent getting punished for expressing my feelings. After a few whippings, as they were called in my day, I learned quickly how to push my emotions down. I understood, even as a six-year-old and a five-year-old and a four-year-old, that my feelings would not be validated. So even though I knew the root of my weight issues, I only recently discovered how to fix them. As a spiritual seeker, I understand that this journey requires you to not only embrace all that is whole and good in your life, but also to continually examine the long-buried wounds hidden beneath your carefully crafted surface. This is what I mean when I say, turn your wounds into wisdom. It turns out, when it comes to my issues with weight, I needed to take a bit of my own advice Despite the freedom I felt in forgiving those who hurt me in the past, it's taken me years and many super-soul conversations to understand that another unresolved issue existed under the extra weight I was carrying. I realize now that even though I've had the kind of career that brings with it an element of power, versions of my childhood abuser continually showed up in my life, disguised in other forms. This person might have been wearing a skirt, or a different pair of pants, but the same relationship dynamic was there. I allowed abusers to cross boundaries rather than confronting them. My childhood history of physical and sexual abuse conditioned me to be silent in overbearing and uncomfortable situations. I pushed those feelings down with food. Years after I became known in the world, I found myself at my father's house with one of the men who had molested me. I couldn't fully explain it to myself at the time. But there I was, in the kitchen, making eggs for him. He told me he liked his eggs over easy, and I thought, oh my God, I'm standing here making eggs for this man who abused me, and I don't even know why I'm in the room. Looking back, this was a seminal moment for me. I reverted to the silence of my nine-year-old girl self, who thought that speaking up would cause me to be blamed. It has finally clicked that this type of compliant relationship has replayed over and over in both my personal and professional life. If I ever became upset about something rather than speaking out, I reverted to the silence of that nine-year-old girl, just like I did years later by making those eggs for a man who had molested me. I finally realized if I was ever going to establish a healthy relationship with my weight, the key was to confront whatever needed confrontation instead of suppressing and eating it. Making that connection feels like a light bulb has finally been switched on, a whole room full of them. Aha, not only have I broken open, I've broken through. Shedding the weight now isn't about meeting goals on the scale or fitting into a dress. It means allowing myself to tell the truth and live in truth on every level, especially when I'm not happy about something. I have claimed my own freedom by telling people what I really feel at all times, even if it means the end of a relationship. For anyone living with layers of shame, suppression, or secrecy, certain triggers may force you to confront all of those feelings you've kept at arm's length. So many spiritual teachers have shared on Supersoul how our greatest epiphanies reveal themselves in times of deep turmoil and despair. Losing a job, addiction, a breakup, the death of a loved one, illness, these are the types of struggles that can just break us wide open. Best-selling author of Eat, Pray, Love and frequent Super Soul Sunday guest Elizabeth Gilbert calls these bathroom floor moments. Others call them dark nights of the soul. Before you start looking outside yourself asking, why me? Why me? Why me? Understand that nothing is happening out of order with you. Your life is always speaking to you. Just like my weight was constantly reminding me of what I thought I had resolved. When that reckoning comes for you, remember, it's really your life trying to push you in another direction. The universe is opening the door to your next great journey. And know this for sure, no experience you've ever had is wasted. Challenges provide opportunities that force us To search for a new center of gravity. Don't resist. Resistance only causes more struggle. You can't win if you're fighting the truth. Instead, persist in finding and letting it break you open. We start with Elizabeth Lesser.
2: You can either break down and stay broken down and shut down, or you can break open. And it's a decision you make. It's a commitment. I am going through a very hard time. I'm not going to waste this precious experience, this opportunity to become the best me. So through that experience of getting divorced and becoming a single mother, I lost everything, my financial security, my self-image, my support, my home. I was really a single mom. and. Everything changed for me. And in the depth of that loss, I found out who I really was. I began to trust who I was. Mm -hmm. I began to find a genuine me that could withstand anything. And if we fight those times and fight the bud opening, we live sort of half of a life. But when we open into our brokenness, that's when we blossom.
1: Next, Gabrielle Bernstein.
2: Sometimes when we wake up to spirituality, and
0: you know this, you've seen it everywhere, that you know what hits the fan, mm-hmm. and everything falls apart. Mm-hmm. And those are the moments when we get to work. Those are not the moments when we drink. Those are not the moments when we go back to the addiction. Those are the moments when we get because to those work. those moments
1: are showing up to help
0: you yep. show up. Everything comes yeah. up so it can be healed. Yeah. It must be healed. So this is willingness, pay attention to the assignments that are coming yeah. to you, and show up for them.
1: And now, Father Richard Rohr. Success is hardly ever your true self, only your early window dressing gives you some momentum for the journey, but it's never the real goal. So the real goal is, you do not know that, however, in the moment it just feels right and good and necessary. Yeah, success feels really good
3: and is for a short while. It doesn't teach you anything. Everything meaningful. I'm going to say up to the age of 30, you need some successes to create your ego structure but it's an arbitrary number, number. but yeah. after 30 everything i've learned has been from humiliation sin failure rejection betrayal yeah that's the difficult times teach you so much that's when my soul expands now i don't like it and i don't know it till afterwards too you know you want to get rid of it but then 2 days later in the surrendering the accepting the seeing i realize i'm larger i'm larger I just love that, don't you? Now let's listen to
1: Ali McGraw. Didn't you have at 65? We're talking about aging gracefully, being who you are. Because I think being spiritual is about coming into who you really are. I think you're who right. Who you really meant to be. That's that's what the path looks like for me. Yeah. When you turned 65, was that a scary moment? Was it a no? It's a moment of reckoning. It's like. Well, this is real.
4: You know what I did? It was so funny. I keep a journal only when I travel. And I went to this place that a friend owns in a little corner of of Mexico. And I brought a book and brilliantly colored double-ended pens. And I locked myself in my room and I wrote the the Today I'm 65 thing. And I said stuff like, am I ever going to have sex again in red? Or do I have to do something about the third chin in a hideous electric green. So I couldn't like hide behind the kind of truths you talk about with your best girlfriend. I told myself some of the vanity scares. and I wrote and I cried and I wrote and I cried. and then I got so bored with it. It was like two days of drinking tea and writing my true scary stuff and a lot of other things. Were you scared not to be called pretty anymore? I was scared about all the things that we're taught we should start getting yeah. scared about and I wrote them, and then I went, okay, that's it. And I felt like it's time, you know, I've got that one down, now let's go on and live. It was a very jubilant day. So it was an an exorcism of sorts. It was a total exorcism, it was that. Wow.
1: Don't go anywhere, more to come after this short break.
0: No two travelers are exactly alike, and that means no two trips should be either. Texas' vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations and activities, allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. Are you a beach person? Well, you'll be having fun under the sun with Texas 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies can't get enough of Texas' world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interests. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters, yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meve. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or roundup in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in-store. without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts.
1: Sarah Bunbronick, was it a surprise to you the way Simple Abundance was received, not just by my staff and by myself, but the way the world responded to that yeah. book?
5: Yes. Did you kind of lose your mind? I tried very hard not to. One minute, I was doing the carpool and changing the kitty litter and writing about gratitude and being told that no lifestyle book based on gratitude will, you know, is ever gonna catch fire. (laughs) And then the next, I was asked to do it, yes. In a word, I was. It blew your. It blew my mind. Blew your mind.
1: And I would say I'd been a person who practiced gratitude and what Simple Abundance did for me is to ritualize to bring into my life on a daily basis, the experience of practicing gratitude. But it's really difficult, I think, when not just money, but real wealth Mm -hmm. hits and you were not prepared for it. Even though Mm -hmm. everybody who's watching us right now, you know, would love to win the lottery and everybody says you want it. When it comes, Mm -hmm. you have to really be ready
5: for it. Were you you ready? No, I was not. And you know, that was such a completely head turning heart-turning flip on you're given what you can handle. Mm -hmm. So I tried. I tried my hardest. So
1: you quickly rose to that lifestyle. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Did you know what you could afford and couldn't afford at that time?
5: No. Mm -hmm. I also didn't know as I took on staff. I also didn't know how much that was all Costing. So you took on,
1: you had nine assistants. I had nine assistants. Yeah. Nine assistants, their salaries, health insurance, their, their travel. Their mortgage. Yeah, yeah, yeah all that. you know.
5: I made every money mistake a woman could have, personally and, and in business. Mm-hmm. But their mistakes. Why did
1: you make those mistakes?
5: I really thought it would continue. Hmm. I really thought it would continue, because I was putting out the best that I could do. I did not slack.
1: You were like a rock star, With a hit album, hit book, (laughs) who thought that I will just continue to make the hits, and the hits will keep on coming, (laughs) and I'll go on tour, and it'll be here
5: forever. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So you married again.
5: I did. Mm -hmm. After seven years, I met a man that I had originally met in my 20s. And I thought, this is it. This is it. Mm -hmm. I thought it was my love story, Mm -hmm. you know. And I believed very much in it. And it turned out it wasn't a love story. We were all right for the first couple of years, although he told me that I was no good with money, despite the fact that I was Made the money. Made the money. I was no good at at handling the money. Um, And you believed that, because there was a part of you that that, would have to, the
1: only way you could accept that is there was a part of you that believed that that was true. So how could you allow yourself to be berated for money that you had earned.
5: The first time it happens, you think that's
1: a little out of line.
5: Yeah. Second time. I call it, those the whispers. Yeah. First time is always, hmm, that's, that's odd. That's strange. You <laughs> should not be talking to me that way. Yes. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted his approval. And since I had not accepted that simple abundance was a phenomenon, uh-huh. since I thought it was a fluke, maybe he was right. Hmm. But then then you'd start to get beaten down so you the next question is why'd you stay Mm -hmm. the first two years had been all right i put it in quotes you know i thought that it wasn't that bad because i love the way you say it wasn't that
1: bad you who wrote simple abundance you're willing to now live with was it that bad but i think all of us make compromises i remember in my 20s being in a relationship with someone who didn't hit me and that was my that that's that was was my because if you ever hit hit me me. i'm not going to be hit but you would allow yourself to be demeaned in Mm -hmm. other ways i figured that out in my 20s and i think that's really the real lesson for everybody that even though you had all of the trappings of success Mm -hmm. and you look like it, and you walk like it, and your the click of your Manolo Blahniks on the pavement said, I am successful, that still somewhere inside, you must have not felt that in an authentic, pure way in order to put up with somebody berating you.
5: I'll accept that, I'll accept that. But you get battered down and you become very, very vulnerable
1: Are you saying that you stayed because you felt dependent upon him at that time? Or you felt that you were tied to him? Or you didn't recognize?
5: No, by the time that, that, you know, and it happened around our second anniversary, Mm -hmm. he really changed his behavior toward me. Mm -hmm. And at some point I said, why are you treating me so mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know what's happened. Mm -hmm. And he said, because all the money's gone. I realized all the money's gone. I thought, that can't possibly be true. I can't possibly have heard that, but it was true.
1: What disturbed you the most, the fact that all the money was gone or the fact that you didn't matter as much because all the money was gone?
5: Oh, the fact that I didn't matter. Oh, okay. You know, it was like, what? And so you were only
1: here because I had the money?
5: Yeah, uh-huh.
1: that, that, was that was the realization for you. That was, and
5: then I was ashamed. And then the very things that he was saying, I started to believe. Somebody hits you, you know to get That's it. it. You're not going to hit me. Me. Yeah. That's right. But when it's these angry, vicious things that are said, mm-hmm. and I, I didn't want to admit that I had made a disastrous mistake.
1: But I just want to say this to anybody who's listening to us right now, that it always, 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 and you know this, yeah. it's always about you. It's always about you. Nobody can speak to you that in a way, way mm-hmm. that demeans mm-hmm. your spirit unless you are willing to be demeaned or right. feel that you
5: deserve that in some right. way. Right.
1: Would you agree with that?
5: Yes, I would. It just cannot, it cannot. happen. It can Well, that's the same idea as you can only betray yourself. That's right. I was betraying myself yeah. on many levels. Yeah. But then, I mean, the, the, our story has a happy ending. Yes. And then, sh- I left. Yes. Yeah. What gave
1: you the courage to get up and
5: leave that? My daughter came over. She was worried about me. Mm -hmm. She surprised me for Christmas. And she said, Mom, what's going on? She said, he's sucking the life out of you. Mm -hmm. He's not making you happy. Mm -hmm. And I said, she's right. And then I said, I don't know how to help myself. She said, Mom, you've helped millions of women. Wow. She said, I'll help you help yourself. Wow. I said, I don't know. I don't know where to begin. She said, well, we'll begin.
1: So you ended up on your sister's doorstep with your cat. And one suitcase. And one suitcase. And divorce proceedings starting. And divorce proceedings. That is an amazing story from simple abundance, abundance, real abundance, <laughs> thorough abundance, to on the doorstep. Was that good for you?
5: Yes. Yes, because I never wrote a book like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was, they, I was writing for my life. Mm-hmm. I was not writing to make a hit. This was my life, mm-hmm. the, my life on the page. Understanding money, seeing how money, my mistakes with money, how that had influenced all That's so interesting. Have
1: you reached a place of serenity for yourself? You say in here that you wrote this book to save yourself. Right. Are you there, at the place of peace and? In, in the
5: same way, with authenticity, in mm-hmm. simple abundance, some days are more authentic than others. Some days are more financially serene.
1: I loved your chapter that you did on "Tomorrow Is Another Day," <laughs> yes. because it is. Because it is. <laughs> you can get up, and you have a chance. You know that famous line from Scarlett O'Hara: "Tomorrow is another day." And I often say, "Tomorrow is another day, Scarlett. <laughs> yeah, we can yeah. try it again." Mm-hmm. And the real truth is, is that. Having made mistakes really is the universe's way of pointing you in another direction to say, tomorrow is another day, Scarlett, Mm -hmm. right?
5: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I really felt that when the car pulled out of the driveway in England, even Mm -hmm. though I was leaving everything behind, didn't know what would happen, I really felt that heaven went, Mm. she got it, she
6: got
3: it. Mm. (laughs) Carolyn Mays. I need you to be fully present, just fully present, and to appreciate all that is in your life right now. Just no right matter now. where it is. No matter where it is, no matter what it is, to appreciate fully. And what a person does I can't th- pay my bills. I lost my job. Okay. I'm in the depths of despair. You are in the depths of despair. And right. still I need to say to you. You need to say to me. You had your life focused on something that didn't belong to you and a path that didn't belong to you. Yes, you did, or you wouldn't be here. You locked in on something that did not belong to you, someone that didn't belong to you. You didn't let go of a yesterday that didn't belong to you. You hung on to a rage that did belong to you and you wouldn't let it go. You lost track of being here, and that is true. Or this is what you did. A
1: track of being here now.
3: or something happened to you and you said this, it shouldn't have. Mm. And you never got over it. Mm. One of those things happened. And you said, it shouldn't have happened to me. I promise you, that happened. When someone finally said, it's not my life. I, I don't know how I lost my purpose. No, you didn't. You did not lose your purpose. What you lost was this sense that you thought certain things shouldn't happen to you, and they did. As if you were excluded from the ordinary, everyday things of life, and you can't get over it. So, to live with no judgment. Mm -hmm. No expectation. And no expectation? Yeah, no expectation. In the sense, think about this, expectations are that certain things should not happen to you that happen to ordinary people. I got it. People hold the idea of being ordinary in absolute contempt please, God, make me anything but not ordinary, uh-huh. right?
1: Yes, 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 yes. And
3: because they do that, they feel like they should be protected from ordinary things. That's right. So when something like happens, like an illness, poverty, any kind of catastrophe, I can't believe this happened to me. Llewellyn Vaughn-Lee. You talk in, in
1: Transformation of the Heart about the journey to spirituality Mm -hmm. being painful that it it is is. you talk as we talked earlier about the crucifixion of the ego and yours was very painful yeah
6: very very painful because when I came to my teacher and I was 19 I was so arrogant you know I'd meditated for a few years I'd done hatha yoga I'd had some experiences in meditation and I really thought I knew something about it and one has to learn humility you have to learn patience you have to learn that it isn't about you and those are all painful lessons. We don't learn them so easily, human beings. We want it to be easy, but it isn't because... Why must it be so painful? Because the heart has to break for the Sufi. The heart has to break open. Most people are so closed, they are so contracted. It's all about me, me, me. Oh, I see. And That's what you mean by the crucifixion, crucifixion of the ego. Crucifixion, yeah. Then it, the heart breaks and then he says, I am with those whose hearts are broken for my sake.
1: So. By the crucifixion of the ego, you mean the heart has to break. You have to get taken out of the the sense that everything is happening for you, that everything is about you. There you go. Yes.
6: That's
1: right. Yes. And so then you begin to live your life in alignment with the beloved, in alignment with God, asking God constantly in a constant state of how can I serve. Yes. But I would say when you are in alignment and you are in service yeah. to what god wants you to do mm-hmm. it's also the most exhilarating there you go the most stimulating it is really i'm going to cry
6: yeah and it the is. most beautiful it is you want yeah. nothing more you want nothing just more just to be in service for the rest of your life yeah you do yeah.
7: michael beckwith when circumstances and situations are pressing in upon us the only way we can overcome them is to go within to actually begin to ask very empowering questions with the awareness that this universal presence and its law will answer any question that you ask. So if you're in a situation that is pressing on you and you ask, what's trying to emerge in my life? What is my gift to share? Mm. What is my purpose? Why am I here on the planet? Not just, how can I pay my rent, not just how can I stop the pain, which aren't bad questions. And not just even what should I
1: do. Not even what should I do. Not what should I do, no.
7: but the universal questions. You ask empowering questions, the universe will answer these questions in a language and in a way that you can understand. There'll be interprompting, there'll be intuitive hits, nudges, signs, symbols, dreams. It'll come in the language of the individual's soul and heart. The difficulty is that when people are in tough situations, they ask disempowering questions. Whoa. They say, what's wrong? Mm-hmm. Who's to blame? Yeah, why, why me? me? Yes. Those are the disempowering questions. So the universe will answer those too. It'll pull on the database of human experience and say you were born on the wrong side of the tracks or you were born on the right side of the tracks or this happened or that happened. It'll give you a, a, a bevy of excuses. But if you ask an empowering question, you'll get an answer to rise above the muck. So it's all about the question the sincerity of the question, and then the ability and the willingness to to really listen, to really be available. That's where the juice is.
1: And that is available to every
7: human being. Whether an individual is in prison, whether an individual is imprisoned by circumstance, imprisoned in their own mind about an event that happened in their past, it doesn't matter. Once you ask with sincerity, the universe will answer. That's the way it operates.
0: This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Something should be boring, like banking. Boring is safe and reliable. You don't want your bank to be entertaining. Entertaining is for podcasts with inspiring celebrity guests, not banks. PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc. PNC Bank, National Association, member FDIC.
8: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
3: of a detour.
1: Elizabeth Gilbert. Tell us
9: about that moment of despair where you're in the bathroom. Mm. I'm not somebody who really grew up praying. We went to a a very conservative Protestant church where you didn't really pray, you know? So I I just started praying. I thought, oh, I've heard of this, right, when people are in despair and they're sobbing. And sometimes they pray, so let me give that a shot, you know? And I just started speaking directly. I, I had no experience how to do it, but I just said to God, I need your help. I don't know what to do. Please tell me what to do. And the decision I was struggling with was, do I stay in this marriage? Do I leave this marriage? And I just kept saying over and over again, tell me what to do, tell me what to do, tell me what to do. And I, I kept waiting for the, the big sort of Charlton Heston answer. You know? Yes. Yes! Stay! No! Go! <laughs> yeah. You know? And... Um, but that's not how it God works. God speaks to you no. no. And what happened was that all of a sudden, I fell into this pocket of stillness unlike anything I had mm-hmm. ever felt in my life, mm-hmm. this divine, quiet envelope of peace. And I heard this voice that was my own voice, but not. Mm-hmm. And in my head, and it said very clearly, Go back to bed, Liz. And that was the answer that God gave me that night, which was, you don't need to know tonight on a Tuesday at 4 o'clock in the morning what to do, because you don't know, and you won't know until you do know. But in the meanwhile, you need to sleep, because you need your rest and you need your strength. Go back to bed. I'll keep the watch. Mm -hmm. Try it again tomorrow. We'll try it again tomorrow. And every night it came. Go back to bed. We're getting there. When you know, you'll do it. You'll
1: do what you need. Glennon Doyle. You say we, especially women, find out very early in life that there is a system to telling the truth that splits us in two. Mm -hmm. Explain that, Sister Glennon.
8: Yeah. I felt split into my entire life. There is the part of me on the outside that's saying the things that I'm supposed to say. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm fine. Fine. (laughs)
9: Marriage.
8: It's like Disney. (laughs) Parenting. Fulfilled. Yeah. And then there's the part on the inside of me that's, like, scared and lonely and confused a lot. Mm -hmm. And what I think that happens is I really think that we are all truth-tellers. I think we are just made to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And so I think that people who—it is very hard for the world to hear the truth from a woman. It's easier for the world to hear the truth from a man. Yes. But since negative emotions are less acceptable from a woman. Right. We end up sometimes telling our truth in different ways than words, dangerous ways. Like, this was the food for me, the booze for me. I think we tell the truth with something. Everybody tells the truth with something, whether it's, they say I'm not fine with a credit card, or they say I'm not fine with overeating, or they say I'm not fine with booze or sex yes, or, yes, yes. or unkindness or whatever it is, which is why it's so powerful when you can integrate those two selves and tell the truth, the story right. of what's going on on your inside with your words. Michael Singer.
1: So we should look at our disturbances and see what our disturbances are trying to tell us yes. about ourselves. You know what it's like? If your body started
7: to hurt, you don't say shut up. You say, well, I wonder what's wrong. It's trying to talk to me. That is your heart telling you something's wrong inside of me. You want to get it out. And so you just appreciate life as your teacher. And then ultimately, just we get it down. How do you get it out? You relax and it will work itself out. That is my experience.
1: You relax. You
7: relax and don't touch it and relax behind it. And it will come up and push its own way out. It's almost as if your heart doesn't want that inside. Yeah. And when you do that, you will start to feel something open up inside of you. I guarantee you, you call it spirit, call it whatever you want, you will start to feel a strength, a power behind you, not in front of you where the thorns are, behind you where you've been leaning back into, yeah. and it will support you and strengthen you and feed you, and the rest of the stuff will just fall away.
1: There are
10: four primal fears.
1: Mm-hmm.
10: Number one, the fear of losing someone's love or having your love rejected. The human mind just can't even handle that. Mm -hmm. The fear of being powerless or helpless, and therefore you're not safe in your being. So the fear of being unsafe. The third fear is really the number one human addiction. Mm -hmm. The number one human addiction is not chocolate, it's control. So that third fear is the fear of losing control. Control of yourself, control of others, control of what will happen, how it will happen, when it will happen, sends the human ego into total meltdown. And then the other fear uh, is just not being seen as valuable Worthy, necessary. Uh So, anger is really the manifestation of one of those Uh fears—that your love is being rejected, Uh or that it's going to be taken away, that you're going to be seen as helpless, hopeless, therefore vulnerable. Uh And you know the ego can't stand vulnerability. Ego can't stand
1: vulnerable because vulnerable means weakness Weakness. to the ego. So you think you're. Uh, perceived as being weak and you must do something to protect yourself and to show yourself
10: to be. And in order not to be vulnerable, you want to maintain control. So when you can't control how somebody's doing what they're doing, there's a fear there. Mm -hmm. And that takes us into anger. Here's the thing about anger that I hope everyone can get. That you're never angry for the reason you think you are.
1: Uh Uh-huh.
10: Ever. Uh Because you're not born with anger in you. We're not born with it. So something happened, and you had that helpless, hopeless, vulnerable, powerless, lack of control response, and that made an impression. You see, the experience made the imprint, the thing happened, and then on the soul, there's an impression, an impression. And anytime anything that looks like, sounds like, smells like, is related to that first impression, raises those feelings up in you, the anger is stirred up. So you think you're angry because boo-boo left you. No! That is really not the origin, the core, the so of the movie. So boo-boo was anger. the trigger? Boo-boo was the trigger. Riding the trigger. Ride him, trigger. Come on, ride it. <laughs> 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 boo-boo was just coming into your life to remind you that there's something down there that you need to handle. Oprah, right beneath the anger, there is a well of hurt. hurt. And we stay at the pain, anger because pain. it gives us control, because we're afraid to go into the hurt. Because right beneath the hurt is the love. This is what I want you to do. I want you to drop your hands to your side. Now I also want you to disconnect your brain. That means close your eyes.
3: Mm-hmm.
10: OK, just take a breath, boo. It won't kill you. <laughs> and invite the hurt forward. Just invite it forward.
1: Dr. Shefali Sabari.
2: With every conflict with your child, with every argument, with every eye roll that your child engages in, you have an opportunity to either step into your egoic control and power and dominance and hierarchy, or you have a chance to look within, ask what in me is being triggered, why am I reacting with this confused helplessness, this desire to seek control, and turn the mirror inward, ask what about me is my child triggering right now? What about me? What about my childhood? What about my unmothered self? Is my child reflecting back? Because
1: that's what your children will do. They yes. will bring up all yes. your stuff. Yes, Pima children.
4: Self-improvement means that I'm going to be different than I am now. So if the view instead is that there's nothing wrong here, I haven't done anything wrong, but there's things that are obstructing me from really fully feeling that, Well, then let's just look at those things and know them completely and utterly. Let's know our rage. Let's know our fear. Let's know our resentment. Do you see what I'm saying? I got it. And by knowing it, listening to what you say about yourself and letting some of that negative self-talk go, you know, then the fundamental thing is there. It's like the sun is always shining, but there's clouds that are obstructing it.
1: Cheryl Strayed. What did the trail teach you if you had to
9: sum it up? acceptance Mm -hmm. i really so often had to accept accept the fact of the hour the fact of the mile the fact of the summer the facts of my life and over and over again i found that if i could do that everything else sort of gave way and it led me to the next step the next thing that was going to reveal itself and I think that that is such an, a powerful and important thing. We all suffer. We all have heartbreak. We all have difficult things. Mm-hmm. That's part of life. And that was a really profound thing for me to, to accept that and to come to grips with that. And the PCT, that, that journey that summer, taught me, it gave me that, that really grand sense of humility that I think you have to have to keep walking in ways both literal and metaphorical.
1: Deepak Chopra
6: what you can do in any situation, any situation, no matter what the challenge is, you can always go to your state of being. And how do you go to your state of being? You stop. No matter what the challenge is, you stop. You take a few deep breaths, you smile everywhere in your body, okay? You observe what is happening in your body, in your mind, and then you proceed with loving kindness and compassion. Stop. S, stop. T, take three deep breaths. O, observe. P, proceed with kindness and joy and love. That's the state of being. It's the highest form of human intelligence.
1: Arya Shanti.
11: We're not taught that difficulty can have a profound and meaningful, transformative effect on us. You know, we might be taught that in a way, someone might say that, but what do I do? What do I do when I'm suffering? What do I do when I really feel overwhelmed? How do I work with the minutiae of my experience so that it's transformative and not just another episode of suffering in a lifetime of suffering. Yeah. What, what is the answer to that question? What do I do with it? Oh, well, I think the first thing is you have to be really unconditionally open to it and take responsibility. How have I gotten myself right here? here. Oh, That is the question, isn't it? Am I willing to see? How uh, I got That myself. I got to, here, right, here. Choice by choice by choice by choice. Right. Oh, that's a hard one, isn't it's, it? It's, it's really hard, and it also has that other
1: side, doesn't it not? Because so, if you want to blame other people, you want to say, well, if they hadn't have done that, or if they should have done that, or I was so busy and right. I
11: could. Yes. But if we look at it up this way, if somebody else was fully to blame for my current state, whatever that is, yeah. then that's it. I'm done. I have no hope. Right. If they're the real blame, I can't go back and change anything that's ever happened. Right. Right? If that's the reason, yes. I'm stuck. That's hopeless. But when we realize that may have certainly affected how I experienced this moment, there's a link. And there's usually things about it that we don't want to own up to. And it's both difficult, and it's also, once you start, you start to realize it's very liberating, because the keys to your happiness are no longer in somebody else's pocket from the past. They're in yours. And that's, that's
1: empowering. Well, I was going to say, and that's powerful. That's right. Very powerful.
11: Yeah. And I'm talking about people I've seen do this that have horrendously difficult pasts, extraordinarily traumatic, traumatic, violent past that can really come to see how am I sustaining that trauma? How am I traumatizing myself? How am I continuing it? Not in the sense of being to blame for it, Mm -hmm. you know? Not that I'm to blame for it, but since the past isn't here now, how is it that I'm keeping it alive? What's the dynamics? What's actually happening? What is it about us that we think we
1: have to continue to live from our history instead of stepping up and out of our history, which is what you were saying. The true definition of awakening is when that happens to you, literally, it lifts up and out of you. That's
11: right. Yeah. That's what I felt at the time. An insight that came to me was at the time, of course, as a human being I have history, but as my essence, I realized I have no history. Eternity knows no history. Eternity is the eternal present. So when you or I become Ooh, completely present. that's powerful. Uh, present, uh, hold
1: on a moment. Got to just take yes, that in.
11: Take it in. <laughs> eternity knows no history. Really?
1: No, because eternity is always right now.
11: Yeah, and any of us can check that statement out. Yeah. When we're completely present yeah. with anything, Yeah. All of a sudden, at that moment, for how long it lasts, there's no yesterday, there's no 10 years ago, there's not even a minute ago. It's all gone. All it knows is this instant. I'm Oprah
1: Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening.
8: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McKrispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem
3: of a detour.
10: Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader.